Welcome to Clarity, hosted by me, Larry McCann. It's a pleasure to see you all again. I hope you've had a wonderful week. Before we get started, I'd like to make one humble request. If you don't mind taking the time to write an iTunes review, it'll help us out tremendously. I'm even going to throw you trolls a bone here. The first five people to write reviews on iTunes, I'll read whatever statement you want on the air. Let's keep it reasonable in terms of duration. Let's say maybe a tweet. Regardless, I'll read your statement. I apologize we've been a bit behind the news cycle, but it's honestly been hard to keep up. We have some new allegations. Today, it's James Franco, Michael Douglas preemptively responded to one, and Paul Haggis initially fired back at one accusation and then was hit with about three more. In the theater world, we have Albert Schultz, who's also facing multiple allegations. We do have some good news, though. Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy, among others, founded the Sexual Misconduct Commission, chaired by Anita Hill. It features executives from WME, Nike, Universal, Paramount, and others. It sounds very much like what Miranda Sajak was suggesting. You get the executives involved, members of the agencies, and hopefully it makes a difference. I would keep an eye on this organization and help hold them accountable. In other news, Terry Crews has accused WME of retaliation. Part of his accusation is that they hacked the computer that he built with his son. He also believes that his family's being tracked and that their home might have been bugged. He made these accusations over a series of tweets. There's no way I can confirm any of this, but I wouldn't be surprised if, like Adam Vennett, WME would stoop to these underhanded methods. Because he grabbed Terry Crews by the balls. You get it, right? You don't seem to have a high opinion of your audience. I guess he didn't have to stoop. Terry Crews is pretty tall. Terry Crews also criticized WME's attempt to use Russell Simmons to pressure him into dropping his case. It's a bit strange to me that you might send someone who's being accused of misconduct to convince someone who's accusing you of misconduct to drop the case. If you accuse me of murder, I'm not going to send Freddy or Jason to vouch for my character. In more random news, Jason Priestley apparently punched Harvey Weinstein at a Golden Globes party in the 90s. I, I don't want to advocate violence, but if anyone deserves it, it might be that guy. Moving along, some of these new accusations tie into what I want to discuss right now. We're entering an era where accusations fly left and right, and a lot of these individuals may not even see a trial. Like Miranda Sajak warned us, we've got to listen to the victims. That's utterly important. But we also have to have due process. And I think we're at a crossroads right now. Are we going to use the court of public opinion? Or are we going to try to use the legal system that's in place? Neither are going to be perfect answers. The following statement is a quote from Paul Haggis, which was part of his initial defense against the first accusation. This maelstrom of media attention, coupled with immediate guilty verdict from the court of public opinion and the utter and complete damnation of anyone accused of any sexual misconduct, has created an opportunity for persons whose motives and intentions are not so pure and who are looking for a ride on this cultural wave to take advantage of persons at the center of this narrative. Now, I think some of what he's saying might be true, but we can't overreact to it. And I think we also got to take a very close look at what he's saying. First of all, Paul, please use a period now and then. 
That sentence was awkward, like the one you might face when you go to court. Second of all, Paul, can I call you Paul? You're not the center of this narrative. And again, as Miranda addressed, if you're making these sweeping claims about women out for only money and fame, you're going to need to provide some evidence. It's extremely hypocritical for you to say that you're caught up in this cultural wave, but then you're splashing around trying to do the same character assassination to your accusers. That's disingenuous. And again, I'm not saying you're guilty, Paul. Just when you throw up all these smokescreens and involve things like Scientology, it's not a good look. Having said all that, I do think that there is a risk for false allegations. We just got to be careful not to blow them out of proportion. One false allegation doesn't mean we should ignore all these victims. And I think it's reasonable to expect some collateral damage. Things have been so bad for so long that I'm willing to be part of that too. Larry is willing to die for your sins. Wow, what a martyr we have. Oh, look at you. What did you have for breakfast? A big bowl of courage? That, that doesn't even make any sense. Yeah, yeah. I can feel my blood pressure spiking. How about we cut to the interview before I have to take a pill? In your own words, can you define feminism? For me, feminism is... Okay, first of all, <laughs> nice to meet you, Larry. This is great. I'm a rude person. <laughs> I realized that. I, I should have introduced you. It wasn't on the sheet of paper. My producer's a joke. What can I say? <laughs> Hello, Larry. Very nice to meet you. <laughs> it's a pleasure, Alex. I appreciate you coming in today. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> feminism, I'm going to tell you right now, Larry, I'm fried. I'm kind of tired. And so, like, take whatever answer I give you with a great assault. But uh, I have always been under the mindset that feminism is just acknowledging that people are human and that whatever rights you think you deserve means that other people deserve them too. And just because feminism implies women doesn't mean it doesn't stand for equality all around. I love that answer. That's a great answer. Are you a feminist? No. Yes, I am. I have to be as feminist after that answer. If I wasn't, I'd be an awful person. <laughs> it would have been a little strange. It would have been odd, would it not? <laughs> How would you define yourself professionally? Professionally, I try to make sure that I am multi-talented and have irons and multiple fires in order to maintain my very meager lifestyle. I am an actor. I am a stunt woman. I, on occasion, am a photographer and do family photography for families and newborns. I am a voiceover artist and I am a collaborator more than anything else is when people have projects that they want to accomplish. I try to figure out a way to make that happen. What kind of unique challenges have you or other women in the various professions you just mentioned faced? I am lucky in that I come across as a somewhat intimidating woman. So my Me Too stories differ greatly from the stories that I hear from my friends mainly because I am clearly not a person that takes a lot of bullshit. Not to say that they took bullshit and they weren't strong enough to stand up for themselves. When you have social pressures that are designed to go ahead and subjugate you, sometimes there is no fight left. That being said, I have heard many different instances in which roles were contingent upon how you acted in the audition room and how you treated the director or how you treated the producer. I have been told that I would not book a role because I reminded a director of his ex-wife. And like, fuck, if I can, sorry, Larry, can I cuss? Absolutely. 
Thank you. Fuck if I care. Fuck if I have any control of that situation. (laughs) Sorry for being born and looking like your ex is what comes down to that. And there are stories that I've heard from friends in which personal boundaries are infringed upon and in which integrity is questioned. And when you are so desperate, correction, it's not even a matter of desperation. When you are wanting to make a life for yourself in your chosen profession and you are constantly confronting obstacles and hurdles that tell you that you have to question yourself and your integrity, there's a reason why people quit the business. We're all starting to hear about this too, with the news cycle and accusations, Mm -hmm. and then people losing their jobs. Right. You're more physically imposing than most women, I would say. And I'm a little intimidated myself, I gotta admit it. You shouldn't be. I am not a threat to you. It's it's both. (laughs) It's a... Intimidation is the wrong word. It's more a healthy respect. I have a healthy respect for you too. You're more than generous. What advice would you give to women who may not be, as you're saying, so clearly not to be trifled with? Okay, I have advice for those women, and I also have advice for anyone who witnesses those women in situations where things are questionable. For those women, I think this is the perfect time in history to not only reflect on past situations in which you may have put up with things that now you feel like you shouldn't have. Once you do that soul-searching, Stand up for what you believe is right. And the only way to do that is to define that for yourself. And that's not waiting until that opportunity comes around. That's going ahead and sitting in your room and just journaling it out. Or, I mean, I'm a, I talk to myself. Is that apparent? I, compl- I talk to myself all of the time. <laughs> that's okay. I have conversations with myself trying to figure out how I feel about any given situation. Step one in terms of how you engage with the world is figuring out how you want to be in the world. To people who witness acts of sexual misconduct or anything else that seems to infringe upon a person's rights, whether they are a woman or not, I think it's best that you say something. It's always hard to navigate those situations in the moment just because there are maybe variables that you aren't aware of and you don't know whether they're joking, you don't know. Like, by all means, assess the situation. And once you have intervene if you think that this person is in need of an ally because they are clearly not in a position where they can speak for themselves. What are some ways you can intervene? Healthy ways to intervene starts with respect in all ways. It's a heightened situation where emotions are involved. Don't exacerbate the situation. So respectfully say to whomever, listen, that may not be the best way to get what you want right now. To the person whom you are helping, maybe check in and ask them, are you in need of my help? That's when they can speak for themselves. There's a, what is the term, bystander syndrome, where when there's a bunch of people who witness something happening because no one steps up, no one says anything, but once that one person says something, then suddenly everyone else is kind of like, yeah, see, I agree. (laughs) Be that person. On the flip side, I have heard stories where, say a couple's in a domestic dispute, When someone tries to intervene, both the people who were previously arguing turn on the new person. That is is a risk. I have had that happen to myself. You can't come to the aid of someone who doesn't want your help. You can try to elucidate the situation, and you can try to say, I am so sorry. Forgive me for intervening. I don't want to get in the way of what you guys clearly have established between yourselves. 
I thought I saw something that required my assistance, and now that I see that you don't need me, forgive me, I will go ahead and back off. I think that goes for people intervening with domestic disputes. I think that goes for our president in terms of Russia as well as Jerusalem. I think that goes for many different things. By all means, help, but ask if your help is needed. I think the point you're bringing up is very important. If that help isn't not necessarily needed, but not wanted, wanted, you have to respect that. Yeah, yeah. Just because you know better doesn't mean that that you can force a horse to drink. (laughs) I'm going to mix all the metaphors. Let's go. (laughs) I appreciate that. It paints a beautiful picture. Thank you. Let's pivot a bit. Going back to the acting. Sure. What's your ideal role? What's your dream? Ah, that is also ever-changing. My career dream up until recently was to survive just on my craft and my art alone. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to audition and then I'm going to work on a TV episode during the day and I'll get wrapped right in time to go and do a play that night was the dream at one point. And I came very close to it last Friday. (laughs) I came real close to it last Friday where I woke up and I didn't have an audition, but I went and I spent the day working on a motion capture gig and then did a play that night. And so like I am making a living off my art alone. That has been the dream up until now. That is currently being amended where like my sense of success is being redefined. And I haven't fully gotten a grasp of what that means to me yet. When it comes to specific roles, yeah, I think it's important to work hard until your idols become your rivals, except don't build rivalries. I have not found myself building the pattern of finding role models that I've seen other people. I admire things about other people and I pull the things from them that I like and I try to incorporate that into my realm, but I have done a poor job of saying this person shaped this part of me. I could work harder at that, though. (laughs) I think that's totally fine as well. I don't think you necessarily have to say, this person influenced me specifically in this way. You can be amalgamation. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) That's one of the best things in life, drawing influence from many different sources. Absolutely. And I always try to question the things that I think that I know, because chances are I don't, or I don't know them as fully as I can. I think that's a very healthy attitude to have. <laughs> I noticed my cell phone was still on and I apologize. Oh, Let me Larry, go and no, I that. absolutely understand. Go ahead and handle that. <laughs> you guys, you can't see him right now. Larry has a whole Buddhist shrine in his living room and he just throws pennies at it. It's fascinating. You're giving them too much dirt right now. <laughs> These people barely know me. Don't be surprised if the cats become a problem. Uh, the cats are never a problem, Larry. We're fine. You're truly a unique person. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's a joy to talk to you here. This is quite the treat. <laughs> In your last response, yeah. you started to dissect the concept of success and how there's not one definition. Yeah. Everyone's going to have their own variation. Yes. You mentioned that your own definition is constantly evolving. Can you explore that a little more? Sure. I'm an actor. (laughs) And my dad made a very big point in telling me when I was in school that you're not going to have any money. And I still chose a profession that was likely not to pay me very much, even though I had a preconceived notion about a standard of living that I wanted to maintain because my dad's a diplomat. My dad has an income that I grew accustomed to that I was not going to make for myself in my mind. And so that's where, for me, success was like, I just want to know that I can pay my rent 
I want to know that I am working to achieve my own dreams and not working to achieve someone else's dreams to my own detriment. I don't want to be stuck behind a desk doing a day job that sucks my soul away or working in a restaurant, taking orders from people who just feel entitled to order me around. I wanted to have more agency over my my life and my happiness. And so success at a base level was surviving off of my art and my craft and my joy alone. And I did that. Whew, I hope that lasts. <laughs> Success is different things for different people. For some people, it means being rich. I don't care about being rich per se, except when clearly having a tax bill suggests that being rich is the only way to survive in this nation. So, you know, I'm going to reevaluate that concept. Uh, But I've only ever wanted to know that I could go to the grocery store and buy my apples without being harassed and paying my rent and travel occasionally overseas and experience different cultures and not pinch pennies as I buy my groceries. I think that's very important. And your dream sounds very much like my dream. Awesome. I hope you get there. I hope we all get there. (laughs) From my perspective, it seems like America might be fragmenting. There's still a large portion, maybe even the majority, who believe in getting rich. Getting rich is happiness. Mm. But there's also a minority now that seems to be questioning it. They're asking, why do we need to be rich? Can I still live a full life without all this money? Yeah, I do believe that that is possible. I think something that Western colonialism and manifest destiny and something that we as modern day Americans have forgotten is a sense of community and a sense of why we need more than just our nuclear family. Yes, having your parents and your siblings fight for them, they are important to you, but they are not the only things that shape your happiness and shape your well-being in your life. Having a sense of community and being open-hearted for people beyond just your friends and your neighbors, but being socially conscious means that everyone wins. The thought of being rich means I have everything that I want, I can guarantee you. I'm not there myself, but I'm pretty damn sure that's not true. The times when I have built my village around me and have been my brokest but had other people who were there to rally at my defense has been the most stellar times of my life. And I don't know that a lot of rich people can say that. (laughs) You got me deep in thought here. I think about shit a lot. You you stumped me. (laughs) One thing that troubles me is not so much wealth as the idea that for one group to be wealthy, another group has to suffer. Here in the United States, we have people who aren't even eating. And that seems impossible to me. I think that is a matter of a skewed perception of what wealth is. Wealth should not be defined by money, and it has been for as long as money has existed. And I think that we as human beings are evolved enough to think beyond that because money itself is a construct that we created. So let's redefine it. Wealth is not defined by money. And if we can go ahead and reach past that, that alone I think will be a solution. Wealth is the quality of life that you build for yourself, and that is also what I was saying in terms of the village that you build around you. You should also let your income support the people around you and not just yourself, and that goes beyond your legacy. I feel so pedantic. (laughs) What kind of legacy do you want to leave? That's very much embroiled with what legacy I'm allowed to leave. I go back and forth in deciding whether I want to have a family. Surviving as an adult by myself alone has been an ordeal. I have a great deal of respect and responsibility as a parent, and I know that I am not in a position to do that in the way that I want to. I would like to. 
for whatever child legacy that I do have. I want to know that they are self-sufficient, that they are willing to challenge themselves and not scared to push themselves into society unabashedly so, respectfully so, and whatever else I think of later on. Anyway, in terms of legacy professionally, uh, I want the artists whom I respect to speak well of me. If they're doing that, I think I'm doing my job all right. <laughs> How about personally? I don't want to just talk about it. I want to be about it. I want to hold myself accountable to that. I also want to forgive myself for the days when I can't be that because it is impossible to be this every day. The best that I can hope for is consistency. In the words of Big Daddy Kane, ain't no half-stepping. Ain't no half-stepping ever. <laughs> I almost want to get a tattoo of that. Larry, I love you. In the context of children, mm -hmm. I too share some of those reservations. There's a lot that I recognize is wrong with this world. A lot of things I want to help change. That makes me question whether I can bring children into this before it's fixed. It won't be fixed. It absolutely will not be fixed in time for the next five generations at least. How do you plan for that? How do you plan for so distant a future? I have a hard time planning next week. And there is another element where, like, to do nothing means that we are resigning ourselves to the documentary that is Idiocracy. And every day in our life is a choice. There is no thing in life that is not your choice besides death. So we can choose not to bring children into the world, and we can choose to live as green as possible and live as kindly as possible and do our civic duty and all the things that we feel like is what we want the world to do with us. That's going to happen regardless of whether there's children or not. What bringing children to the world means is that maybe that there will be someone who shares your mindset later when you're gone. One hopes. You would think, then, that if you have a positive outlook on life and you care about the world, then your children might as well. Yes, but there also has to be room in every parent's heart to acknowledge that your children are not yours and are not responsible for becoming like you. So that is a gamble that any parent shares. Your child does not have to be like you. Life is uncertainty. I must say, though, I've met a lot of people who already have children, and I question whether that was a good decision. I don't think you're one of those people. Thank you. More often than not, the apple does not fall far from the tree. And to challenge the volume of impressionable, working people who may be lacking in education, the best that we can do as westernized, educated, what is it weird, westernized, educated, industrial Democrats? What is the weird acronym? Look it up. Google's a beautiful thing. Like, the only way that we can challenge that is to by having children of our own and, and letting differing views continue. Because otherwise, we'll be beat out by just sheer volume of ignorance. It seems like the tide of ignorance is very strong, and not everyone is going to be able to raise their children under ideal circumstances. Ever. How can other adults engage children in a positive and helpful way in order to encourage some of these thoughts and ideas that their parents aren't providing? Host sleepovers. I learned a lot when I got to sleep over at other people's homes because I didn't know that people lived that differently from me. And I'm assuming children are involved in these sleepovers, correct? Absolutely. These, I mean, I encourage sleepovers at all ages, just as long as the age groups are appropriate. <laughs> I'm just saying, out of context, that statement could be misconstrued. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> 
As a parent, I think it's advisable to host sleepovers for your children and their friends. Because there is a cross-cultural education that can happen there without you even knowing it. That being said, let your children sleep over at other people's homes and empower them to identify right from wrong and being circumspect in the moment. Trust your child to be smart, to assess the situation in the moment. Prepare them for when they get there. If you helicopter your child, then like, they don't know how to act when you're gone. I'm sorry, Larry, remind me again the root of this question. How can we help influence other people's children in positive ways? Engaging with them at all is just one thing. I've realized as an adult, it's easy to go ahead and just get wrapped up in my adult life where I don't see kids ever. Even if it's a matter of you go to a park and you like look up and you smile at the kid that just ran by, that's something. Kids are much more willing to engage in a conversation than adults are, so all you have to do is be receptive. It's a delicate process where you don't want to educate someone else's child. That is inappropriate. It is always okay to lead by example. In the same way that I mentioned earlier where if you witness some transgression to intervene, kids play rough, kids play mean. They can be jerks! They're little barbarians because, and we love them because they're our children. That is practice for us and that is practice for them to learn how to be better people. And so leading by example and intervening and saying, hey, do you need help right now? <laughs> do you feel like you're being bullied? Okay, what about what he's doing feels bullying to you? Maybe don't do that next time. As the grown-up, you are the authority. So remind them how their behavior could be better. And if they have grown-ups nearby who don't like you intervening in that way, respectfully say, I'm so sorry. I saw this. I was trying to help. Not everyone wants the help, but at least you know you tried. I think the key thing you're bringing up is being willing to admit a mistake. Yes. Even with good intentions, we don't always do the right thing. It is the most courageous person that can admit when they're wrong. And not only is it courageous, I have such respect for that vulnerability because you are putting yourself in the line of fire of everyone else. I encourage everyone else to be just as forgiving because you will be in that position too someday. If we all have a mindset of instant forgiveness for each other and are all courageous enough to be vulnerable in the moment and all courageous enough to admit when we're wrong, then our chance for growth is gonna be so much faster. I've noticed personally that there seems to be almost a growing dark power of never accepting responsibility for anything. Mordor won't win, no, nah, man. I don't accept that at all. <laughs> Do you think culturally we're still open to admitting faults? In terms of the mainstream view, what do you think the average is? Do you think the average person is understanding and will admit fault, or the average person is stubborn and looks to blame others? I think it is human to defend oneself. I think it is natural to grow up building your sense of ideology and defending that because the people who you love and who care about you have told you that you ought to. I think that the people who are continually self-assessing and who seek to evolve and want to be better people over the course of their life and not just during the milestones of their life are often challenged with the ideology that they thought was true and are willing to change their point of view about it. The people who I admire the most don't just change their point of view about the past ideologies that they thought were true, they try to change their lives to incorporate that new knowledge. In what ways are they effective at that? Can you give a specific example? Specifics would help in this regard, I see that. And this is a poppy field of red flags, dude. <laughs>
But an easy example about it is, for years we thought it was okay for guys to exert their dominance. And the people who questioned it were shunned. The people who challenged it were silenced. And I think that now in a position where like, we all can see that people abuse power, and because society has designed it so that men have more power, men have abused power. I don't think feminism is anything in terms of men are awful, hate men. If anything, it's a calling out of the inequalities that exist, the patriarchy power that exists, and saying, men, you have a power that others don't have, that women don't have. And now that you know, can we do something about it? Now that we're all aware of it, how can we make that easier, make that better, make that less of an opportunity for subjugation and an opportunity for uplifting? I don't ever know if I'm answering your questions, Larry. I feel like I'm just rambling. It's wonderful. No, it's wonderful. <laughs> Follow your heart. Okay. That's all I ever know how to do. <laughs> it's exactly what I want. It ties into my next question. Okay. The word privilege has come up a lot in conversation, mm. and that ties into exactly what you're saying. Mm -hmm. When there's a structure of power, the people who benefit from that power exist in privilege, but often have trouble recognizing how much power they have. Yeah, I need to find who is the originator of this quote, but to those who have privilege, equality feels like oppression because you have to lose what you have for everyone to be on a level playing field. I understand you don't want to lose that. I understand that response. That is a human response. I am asking for people to think beyond that. How would you engage someone who is in a position of privilege and can't? Man. <laughs> Cat deterrent. <laughs> Works like a charm. So if you win a conversation with someone like that, who just stubbornly refuses to address their power, they're like, hey, I'm a white male in America, but I'm poor. I'm not privileged. How do you start breaking down those walls and get them to see some of these systemic issues? Okay, so there's different forms in which this could happen. I don't have to engage with this in person very often because I am lucky to live in a liberal bubble of LA and, and I am grateful for that because I left those places. I do come across this on social media. When that happens, I realize that I may be engaging in this discourse for more than just the person that I'm talking to. If I ever come across this on Facebook or anything like that and like I'm just getting trolled hard, <laughs> I don't mind engaging in a long debate. And I don't do it for the person whose views clearly don't want to be changed. I do it for the witnesses because there's always people who want to sit and watch the drama. I have no problem challenging your point of view. I have no problem telling you, hey, listen, you telling me <laughs> this happened last night. <laughs> Someone wrote that he thought if a woman breaks up with her boyfriend and then dates someone else within a year, then you should question her worth, is what he said. I had very little tolerance for that. I didn't have the time. I like the trolls, shit like that. To respond to that is literally me saying, okay, let me flay myself upon your sword. There are not enough hours in the day to fully correct the things that are wrong in that. But I tried. <laughs> He tried to play it like it wasn't his opinion. He tried to make it seem like he was playing devil's advocate and wanting to see what other people had to say about that really inflammatory thing that he said. Ultimately, I told him it doesn't matter whether you're playing devil's advocate or not. What you're doing is hurting more than it is helping. You are encouraging people who think that way to continue thinking that way. And you are diminishing women in the process. 
It would be one thing if your sexist comment had anything to do with men. But no, you seem to think that a woman who deigns to date more than one person in 365 days should be less than. That is a reflection on you to ever think that of someone. And if you agree with me, click like. I had so much more to say, but I, I encourage the world to go ahead and share their opinion too. And so <laughs> he deleted the post because a lot of people were liking what I had to say. I don't always get into those awful conversations for that person because there are people who don't want to change their minds. But there are always witnesses who, with the bystander effect, may intervene with you and who may not intervene but may share your opinions and just don't have the words to shape their thoughts. And so giving them a voice and giving them a chance to agree or disagree is enough sometimes, I hope. I don't know. I just try. <laughs> that mentality is wonderful. I think with a lot of these internet conversations, if you're trying to change their mind, you could say anything. Mm -hmm. You could bribe them. You could take care of their mother for 30 years. It's not going to make a difference. You could. You could. I think that would be a waste of energy, Larry. I mean, you could bribe them, but then you're losing money hoping that they keep thinking that way tomorrow. I think our methodology in terms of how we try to change minds is important, too, because, I mean, this is my own parenting choice also. I don't want to bribe my kids. I want to keep my money and let them empower them to earn their own. Money should not be a way that I use to change your mind. And if someone's trying to change your mind with money, you should question that. They have ulterior motives, and you might not be part of it. Finding effective ways of communication, being challenging without being bombastic, challenging in a way that causes them to reflect upon themselves. I told this guy, listen, he tried to come back at me and say, listen, I just wanted to get people's opinions. I was raised by my mother, and I have a bunch of sisters. I think women are fantastic. You don't need to tell me about being the patriarchy. The patriarchy is awful. You're right. You're helping it. There are people who believe that they're helping and they're not, and they need to be reminded how they can help better. I ultimately had to tell him, listen, I challenge you to share this post with your mother and with your sisters. Ask them what they think about it. I'm sure that them being your family, they have come to love and respect you for who you are over the course of your life. Who you are has been shaped by a patriarchal society. Maybe it's time to question that. I am not saying that everyone else needs to look at themselves. I do this for myself often. Who I am today, I'm going to reevaluate and change by next week in some capacity. And, and it's always in minute steps, but I am not the person that I was a year ago. The most interesting people in the world are the people who can tell me that they aren't who they were. Because it's that evolution that is this indicator of progress. Because we are here as a nation right now does not mean we don't have the potential for great things later on. It is the day-to-day -day determination that makes that happen. Just wishing it isn't enough. I have so many soapboxes. That's perfectly all right. <laughs> this is, in fact, the medium for that kind of message. It is. It is. <laughs> Don't feel the need to censor any of Thank this. Thank you. If this is a form of therapy, I'm happy to oblige. Thank you for that. I think specifically with the message that man posted on social media, you almost have to pause it. Because in the beginning, he says... If a woman breaks up with a man... It's already the... <laughs> that, that's a flag right yes. there. Because he's already creating a different standard for men and women. Yes. And it seems very arbitrary. He clearly doesn't think that a guy who breaks up with his girlfriend and then dates someone else within a year is problematic. That is an anchor with which to assess the situation. Any statement that says, if women, 
if men, if colored people, I can say it because I'm black. <laughs> Any broad generalization you should question because people are much more dynamic than just that. I hope you enjoyed part one of my interview with Alex Marshall Brown. I realize now that I never said her full name. I apologize, I'll try to step my game up. Please join us next week and you'll catch part two. We have a more in-depth conversation about race and other issues. I think you're gonna enjoy it. One recurring theme of the interview you just listened to was that of accepting fault. None of us are perfect, even me, and we should look at ourselves critically. Thinking about how what we say and do affects others. The next thing I want to touch on is the concept of logical fallacies. I think all of us have at some point either been on an internet forum or read the comments section. And you can see how it quickly devolves into a ridiculous argument that doesn't go anywhere. There's a portion of these users who treat it like a debate club. They're playing a game where they're almost scoring points on you and you're not aware of it. A core part of the arsenal is what's called a logical fallacy, a common form of argument that, when you look at it closely, doesn't make any sense. I don't have time to go over all of them, but we're going to cover a couple right now. Apparently, the rapper Drake has been working with the University of Idaho and has put together a fantastic resource. The first one we're going to go over is an ad hominem. This refers to an attack on the person that you're arguing with that does not relate to the argument at hand. So if we're arguing about women's rights, and you call me a fat-headed idiot, that really has no relevance to what we're discussing. However, if we're at a school board meeting, and I'm arguing in favor of defunding schools and putting more junk food in the cafeteria, it may be appropriate to question my intelligence and the obesity of my head. The next logical fallacy we're going to cover is affirming the consequence. In other words, you're taking one example and connecting it to something that may be related, but does not have all the same features. The example that Drake gives, maybe it's in one of his songs. I'm not overly familiar with his catalog. The premise is, ducks are birds. Ducks swim in the water. Chickens are birds. Therefore, chickens swim in the water. I think even the more dim-witted among you will see the flaws in that argument. There's a leap in logic that falls apart under scrutiny. Just because a chicken is also a bird doesn't mean it's going to have all the same characteristics as a duck. You all know what that music means. Well, actually you don't, because we haven't established this. That's the NQ. That means we're on to the sponsorship section. And unless anything's changed since we started recording this, we still don't have a sponsor. I'm very disappointed in you, Will. You've really let us down. <sighs> Whatever, Larry. No witty retort? What's the matter with you? What are you, Patty Hearst? Show a little spirit. Anyways, I'd like to take this moment to thank Waldo Brand Ear Hair Tremors. You really make putting on these headphones possible. I haven't tried your nose hairline yet, but it's something I'm looking forward to. You're really oversharing, Larry. I don't think they need to know this about you. Now, Will, this is why my name's on the podcast, and you're just some schmuck behind the boards. The fans want to feel connected. And what better way to connect than sharing some tips on personal hygiene. I want you all to look good. Real good. <laughs>